once again by my good friend, Eric. Um, always willing to hop on the line with me and chop it up and talk a little uh, of politics and, and, and a bunch of other stuff. But today we're once again coming back to you talking about uh, Georgia politics and particularly, you know, our, our, our governor's race. Um, you know, our governor's race has been in the headlines for various different reasons. We have a bunch of folks on the right who, who, hate, who hate Delta and, and want us to uh, uh, make sure that 13 people can keep their NRA discount. Um, and, and, you know, folks have seen the headlines, the Battle of the Stacys. It sounds so dramatic, like an 80s uh, teen movie, like the Heathers or something. Um, but, but, but what's really been interesting in this conversation, particularly as we look at Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans and this issue of electability, but, but, but also this notion that one is a better candidate for the general um, that, that has come up a lot in reference to Stacey Evans, despite Stacey Abrams being the clear front runner, um, as, as discussed by, or as evidenced by recent polling and, and just the, the, the difference between the two campaigns and how they're reaching out to voters in the state. So Eric, thank you so much for joining me and, and, and taking some time today. Totally happy to be here. Things are really, uh, picking up in the uh, electoral arena. And it's, um, like you said, there's just uh, always something to talk about. And uh, this, this week is no exception. So Eric, you've, you've been in this, this arena for quite some time. And, you know, you definitely have a good lay of the land. Like, as we discussed in our first conversation, you, I think you had the, 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 the margin between Doug Jones and Roy Moore, like exactly dead on correct. So I'm, I'm, I'm going with your, your judgment and your ability to look at the statistics and, and analysis and dig in there. Let's talk about this poll that came out. Um, well, it's been about a week or so now. Uh, Mason uh, Dixon, there was a poll that came out, you know, breaking down kind of where all the candidates stand in relation to each other. Um, it seems like there's a tight race, you know, if, if, if the race were to be between uh, Casey Cagle and Stacey Abrams. It's rather tight with with Cagle with a slight lead, um, but Stacey's blowing the rest of the Republican candidates. Well, Stacey Abrams is blowing the rest of the Republican candidates out of the water, but somehow she's not electable. I tell you what, I the next person I hear say that I I may go postal on them because I I just don't. This race is becoming more and more of. Uh, of people just saying what they wish was true, you know, uh, and and the people out there like that are still trying to somehow parse uh, that Stacey Evans is more electable than Stacey Abrams. I, I mean, it's getting really close to where those people will be just transparently biased, racist, whatever you want to call it. And in, in the fact that they cannot, they just cannot bring themselves to acknowledge the fact that in every metric, every metric, fundraising, uh, campaign uh, scale, uh, uh, name ID, I mean, all of these factors, and the poll shows it, Stacey Abrams is the clear front runner in both the primary and in matchups with these Republicans. She beats every single Republican except for Casey Cagle, and she's only behind him, down five points from him. 
And yet you still have folks out there who, uh, and it's more of a whisper campaign at this point. Very few people are, uh, are not, not, are willing to be as crass as to say, put out something on Twitter or Facebook anymore saying that, uh, Stacey Evans is more electable than Stacey Abrams, but you, there is a pronounced whisper campaign uh, among people who have a vested interest in um, the narrative that Stacey Evans is the is the the candidate to, that's going to win or that can win or best able to win um, because she is following the model of every failed Democratic campaign for governor since 2002. Right. And the same people running her campaign or who are behind the scenes sort of, uh, uh, you know, orchestrating her campaign are the same people that have run these failed campaigns every four years uh, since 2002, which, and for people that don't know, that strategy is number one, to raise money have no field operation, nobody out knocking doors for you, nobody having direct voter contact, but saving up a mountain of money and then a few weeks out from the election, go up on TV with as much money as you, uh, spending as much money as you can and try to win over uh, a sector of the white electorate that has been lost to Democrats um, you know, since basically the um, the Dixiecrats figured out that they were Dixiecrats, that they weren't really Dic- Democrats, that they were actually Republicans back after uh, after the 2002 election, and they the the strategy has always been to, to find this one issue, and it's all and for the last few election cycles for governor, it's been the issue of education is all is is seen as the silver bullet that's somehow going to get Tea Party birther racist, misogynistic, anti-gay, anti-every-good-thing-in-this-world reactionary white people to vote for Democrats because they agree with their position on education, and that somehow will, in theory, trump their allegiance to this you know, racist, reactionary agenda, will trump their, uh, their obsession with uh, assault rifles, will trump their obsession with all these conspiracy theories and, and uh, you know, the, the Alex Joneses of the world and all this stuff. Somehow we're going to talk about Hope Scholarship, and that's going to cause all these folks to say, you know what, I'm not really a bigot. I'm not really, uh, you know, uh, somebody who believes that billionaires should run our country and our state in their interests. I'm going to go with Stacey Evans because she – I agree with her on education – if you think that sounds absurd, it is. Well, I, you know, I think you raised several really good points, and definitely about the Whisper campaign. I did see there was one piece that I did read like earlier earlier this week um, that was in the Southern Political Report, um, an online blog or newsletter, um, and, and and it did it did make the just blatant statement that Stacey Evans was the stronger general election um, you know candidate without any explanation, without any reference point, without anything. And here's the thing, right? You know, everybody wants to see a good competitive race. Good, good, clean competition, you know, it makes for good candidates. It's not divisive. It's not nasty. It's, if, it's, if, we, if people are actually sticking to, you know, to their issues, 
distinguishing where important and running the best race possible, it's really good for everyone involved because it gets people excited and engaged and involved, right? However, what we have here is, like you pointed out, instead of building the best possible operation to reach the maximum amount of people, you do have this insinuation, you do have this doubt that's being shaded at Abrams, whether it's because, you know, she's blowing through so much money. Well, she's also reaching more. We just read a, I just read a piece um, out of Athens that talked about how the Abrams campaign actually had more of a presence and field on the ground in that region, you know, to actually engage voters as compared to her opponent. So that's the type of stuff that we're seeing. She was just down in Columbus, you know, with, with volunteers and stuff too. So, so that's the type of stuff that we're seeing in comparison, right? And, and you, you hit it on the head when you talk about the, this antiquated strategy. You know, people talk about, you know, these two different strategies and we just got to see which one pans out. We already know which one does not work. We already know what doesn't work. We've already watched it fail for the last, you know, what, what, since 2002, so what, 16 years now? We've already seen the massive, you know, losses at the national level with thousands of Democrats losing thousands of seats nationwide, trying to figure out some way to reclaim, you know, that lost voting block. What, what we need to do is shift to a new way of thinking, organizing, and embracing voters. No one is saying don't talk to white voters because they're white. That's ridiculous, right? What people are saying, and I know you and I have talked about this as well, is you invest in the, the people who actually make up the demographic, you know, who reflect your party base, right? So you invest in talking to voters who are underrepresented, who have been left out of the process. You bring them into the process. You get them to vote. I, I think you sent me something talking about if we could get turnout above 2014 levels closer, somewhere closer to 2016 turnout levels here in Georgia, that really changes the game in terms of what we're looking at in terms of, you know, who can do what going into the general election. And there's so much that just isn't, like you said, it's just not panning out logically and with facts. I get people are really passionate and they want the person they want, or they just simply don't like Abrams, whatever their rationale is. But that's not like realistic if we're talking about what it takes to win. And what it takes to win is a lot more than, oh, someone's telling lies on me or, oh, they're being mean or it's all their fault that I got embarrassed on social media. That's not going to cut it. And if you think that's going to cut it against Casey Cagle, who is, you know, by far the Republican front runner from what we've seen thus far, you're sadly mistaken. And the Republican Governors Association clearly is already, you know, winding up their lame attacks, you know, who, Stacey, who? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to work. And so we definitely need something more. So I, I know that you are transitioning, you know, roles, but I was just wondering some of your thoughts about, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, what, what, what it does take to really engage voters here, you know, in the South in general, but here in Georgia in particular, what are we looking at? Well, to give, to go back to your, to the earlier point, um, you know, uh, there's a, some anonymous wise, wise person once said, you have the right to your opinion, but you don't have the right to your own facts. Mm. And the, the fact is it, it, the p- people that say what you said in that, and I, I don't have a subscription. I think that's a, one of those paid subscription magazines or something. I, it, I didn't see that. But people that say that, and then they don't have one statistic, one single, you know, no polling, 
no metric to actually demonstrate that their idea is valid. And that should, should make people think, okay? So just to give an idea that between the difference between 2014 and 2016, obviously those are higher turnout, you know, governor, uh, uh, presidential races always have higher turnout than governor's races. That's just a fact uh, that we live with. But what it does reveal is that there are, there were 700,000 more people willing to vote for Hillary Clinton, who's obviously by any stretch to the left of Jason Carter, uh, and, at least in the style of campaigns that they ran and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm not trying to bash Jason. I'm just saying he ran a, a you know kind of a centrist campaign um, that – Seven, there were 700,000 more people that turned out in 2016 to vote for a candidate who was more progressive. So if we're talking about – and Jason Carter only lost by 200,000 votes. So right. if, it's, it's not that the votes aren't there. It's, it's that you're not getting, the, getting this election into people's minds that an election is happening. And that election, this election is very important, and this is why these, these you know. And so, in, in my personal, uh, uh, you know, the the, uh, the strategy that I think basically is the is the is what you have to do in order to make numbers like that happen is you have to have a massive field operation, and that means that uh, hundreds or you know of people thousands of volunteers knocking on doors, having actual conversations, having real conversations about the issues that are important to people. And through that, you clarify to people that the governor's race impacts those issues and how it connects to what the, you know, when people are, if people are concerned about healthcare, you can, you talk about, you know, Medicaid expansion, and you know, regulating um, prescription drug prices. Uh, you, you talk about uh, you, if, you, if you're talking about transportation, you talk about you know funding MARTA. But all of these are progressive core issues. And if you can get people to make the connection that all of those issues are more to their benefit than the Republican agenda of cutting services, cutting taxes for rich people, and then cutting services for working class people. Um, cutting things that people need, like you know, cutting education, cutting Medicaid, uh, cutting tra- uh, tra- transportation. If you if, if if you can get people to, to see that 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 they are the party of the things that do not do one damn thing for you, versus the candidate whose policies will uplift you and your family and your uh, your friends and your neighbors and the, your kids will go to better schools. And you'll have access to health care and all these things, and that then then the election then those people will come out and they will vote right. you know it's there's no magic to people not voting they don't vote because a they don't know that uh an, there's not enough in the, in, the, in their consciousness that the election is going on, and two, the most powerful thing is they don't have a compelling issue to come out and vote for and if you if you give them a sense that you embody 
what they think is a better direction for this state than our next governor will be Stacey Abrams. Absolutely. It's as simple as that. And I think if you look around, what we, you know, people are talking about, well, she's, uh, Stacey's burn rates. Burn rates is, is this pejorative term that people like to throw around because they, they, they you know, it's one of the, the, the uh, you know, kind of consultant class terms of trade kind of thing, whereas you're talking about this candidate is burning through way more money than they should be at this point in the campaign. <laughs> they're burning and, more um, money than they're paying them. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah to, to a degree, yeah, but the, the, the real burn rates, the real what a burn rate really looks like is when you're paying for more consultants and you're paying for uh, to people to make commercials for you and you're paying for TV and you're not paying people to go out and talk to voters and, and, and making these issues and making the case to the people of Georgia that we need that we need a governor and that this, 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 this is a campaign that can actually win and can actually improve their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a really strong point. And I, and I think even the way like you and others who do get out there and try to explain the mechanics and like, because we will hear, hear people who are supposedly the experts, right? You know, the campaign, the strategist, the consulting class. Well, who will use all these terms and it sounds so smart and like they know what they're talking about and they must know. And so either turn people off from participating in the process altogether or it gets people only lining up a particular way. But when you when you explain it and break it down and start talking about, you know, this is the difference of people actually investing in people, right? In the people we're we're hoping are gonna turn out to vote versus, you know, putting money into these other systems that aren't necessarily going to benefit people directly, but you know, it'll benefit uh, uh, in terms of, you know, trying to buy, you know, ad space that benefits someone's particular set of pockets you know, consultants, that that benefits another set of pockets. That doesn't necessarily move voters the same way that getting out there directly, having people knocking on doors. I mean, knock on all the doors. Like, no one's saying don't knock on doors. Don't knock on doors of people who might not actually vote, you know, a particular way. You have the conversations with folks, but you got to have a way of not burning out your your, your staff and your volunteers and, and, and understanding kind of who you should be turning out, like, you, 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 you don't want to invest. You don't want to do what the Hillary campaign did and accidentally turn out uh, uh, supporters for your opponents either. Um, you know, like, like, like there's a way to look at all of that and really engage. But I think one thing that you talked about is like how you get people is talking about the issues, not trying to appeal to their sensibilities and, oh, look, I'm a better alternative than those people. When we're really looking at what's happening right now with the candidates that are running on the Republican side, the issue that they're choosing to promote, the interest that they're choosing to promote, there is no there is no middle ground. They're choosing to run, you know, Trump type campaigns. You know, you have Kemp look talking about criminal immigrants or, or criminal aliens and stuff like that. And you have Cagle really hamming it up for the NRA and the others are falling in line behind. Like they're not trying to be the moderate Republican uh, 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 you know, type of 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 of, of uh, candidate. They're really going to that that hard right corner. They might bring it in a little bit, but they're not they're 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 not trying to find any you know common ground. They're not worried about trying to win over Democratic voters. They're going to the people that they know are their base. They're pulling on the strings. It doesn't matter. 
that they are not funding education properly. It doesn't matter if they're they're against expanding Medicaid, which would benefit so many folks. Like when we're talking about reaching voters, whether they're rural or urban, white or black or Latino or whatever, like we need to be talking about values and, and, and our values as, as people who are Democrats or Democratic voters, you know, people who vote Democrat, like we need, that's what we need to be focused on. Not trying to find some way to make ourselves be appealing to people who would otherwise support a Kegel or a Kemp. Like there's such a wide chasm there, you know what I'm saying, between those people who are okay with what they're saying and doing and then us. And I don't really see, like, besides sticking to those issues, I don't see how people, you know, waste time trying to appeal to folks who think, you know, it's okay to have um, misleading bias training, you know, like out in Barrow County, um, where you have folks who are Islamophobic and anti-Arab coming in and instructing, you know, your law enforcement officers. Like, there's such a wide gap <laughs> and th on those issues that I don't know that we can, you know, kind of bridge the divide there and, 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 and appeal to folks. Like, those are not the voters we're necessarily going to win over, but people who are interested in hearing really um, sane conversations about education, healthcare, infrastructure, you know, things of that nature, will be more inclined to also follow someone who's willing to stand strong in what they believe in. So... Totally, totally. I mean, and, and, and I think we, you know, this is, people will call this hyperbole, but I, I think it's really true. The fact is, is that we can spend from now until election day and not have one single persuasion conversation with a Republican voter and win the election. Okay. Mm -hmm. We don't have to talk to the right wing. And of course, that's not saying we don't, but I think at the end of the day, uh, it's, you know, um, on election day, if we spent six months uh, running ads that that's really motivated by, uh, by this notion that, you know, you got to peel off uh, a chunk of the hard right, the hard right, not the moderates, the hard right, you've got to peel off a chunk of them in order to win the election. And you spend your time um, messaging to them. And even if you're not being, a, you know, a, you're not doing right wing messaging, but you're, 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 you're moderating and watering down uh, core populist progressive issues that resonate with everybody out of this, this uh, backward notion that that curry will, you know, curry favor with these, uh, you know, uh, Rush Limbaugh, hard right, Fox News watching ideologues, um, rather than talking to the 700,000 people who didn't show up uh, on, in 2014. Right. For what, why did they not show up? Why did they show up for a more progressive candidate in 2016? You know, if the, if, if, Tacking to the middle is what turns people out, you know. Um, the base is there. And so, you know, if you spend your time trying to peel off that, that right-wing, a uh, chunk of that right-wing block, that white supremacist, you know, block, then – and you're, that's why people sit out elections is, is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Pe people sit out elections. They don't vote for Jason Carter because they don't – 
that being a Democrat and being a partisan Democrat or, you know, being the Democrat is not enough. Okay. People voted for Hillary for a whole number of reasons. A, they were scared shitless of Trump, but, uh, uh, you know, the fact is, is that um, she, she had a many issue, positions that were far to the left of Jason Carter and she got 700,000 more voters. Right. You know, so if you're talking about a 200 vote spread between the Democratic gubernatorial candidate and the and the Republican gubernatorial candidate, and you've got 700,000 votes out there as a universe to be talking to, to me, it makes a hell of a lot more sense to be talking to those folks. I agree. And then I also think that, like you going back to our earlier part of our conversation, you got to throw the old playbook out. The old playbook does not work. That old, you know, um, you know, pre-2002 Dixiecrat, you know, collaborative, collaborative that, that, that was kind of strung together just does not exist. Um, you know, the notion that we have, you know, white liberals and progressives, you know, marginalized, Scottish marginalized communities, and maybe, you know, our, our quote-unquote conservative Democrats, you know, blue dog dims. I mean... You know, that's that's what we're talking about. And if there's a, you know, the common interest, the common goals, everyone can get in line where they get in, where they fit in. What I feel like to some extent, too, is that when you're when you have this conversation about electability, it's not that um, Stacey Abrams is not electable. She's electable. People vote for her. You just got to vote for her. Right. Like the I, I sense like an anxiety in these spaces that people are no longer or they, they fear a loss of influence and power that may have once been more plentiful. Um, in a similar way that we see some on the far right, the, the alt-right types, you know, with this fake, you know, white genocide. So they talk about, not saying that they're the same group of people, but the anxiety around power shifting and who is in control. It just seems like to some extent that whether people are conscious of it, there is a fear of a black woman being in charge not just, and not that she hasn't been in charge, you know, she's, she was she was the House Minority Leader, but, like, being the, the top dog head honcho as governor, like, there just seems like there is just this uncertainty about where people fit in in a world that has Stacey Abrams leading at the helm. And this doesn't make folks bad people, but I really implore folks to really dig deep and figure out what that is, you know, because this notion that she can't win and they won't say what it is but it's obvious when you say evans can win but abrams can't i mean or one is stronger than the other and you just look at you look at their resumes you look at their backgrounds you look at their policy positions they're, they're they have a lot of similarities right they both have a lot going for them in terms of both for their upbringings and they understand the struggle in terms of rural poverty i'm like it's not like you have one person who always grew up with with wealth and access and the other who didn't, right? Like, so it's not even like that's the, even the, what we're looking at here. Because you'll see it mentioned a lot that Evans has that rural background. And you'll see Abrams mentioned as having all these national, you know, elite connections, which she does. But that's because she's worked to network and build that greater, you know, uh, 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 support system. Because let's be real, it's very different to be a person of color trying to run for office in this country. You know, like, so it just seems like there is a double standard there, but also there is this anxiety that folks aren't really dealing with 
because there's been a way that people have been used to do th- doing things in terms of who gets to run statewide and who just backs out. I remember I was saying to you before um, we were talking previously offline that I didn't realize Jason Carter, 2014 was the year I moved here. I didn't realize Jason Carter had ran unopposed in the primary because um, I moved here in time to register to vote and we I voted in the general. But like even that type of stuff, right? Like no one, I don't know that anyone would dare say that Jason Carter, you know, who, who had this political lineage already in place was not how, you know, why would he run? He's not, he's not capable or confident. I mean, maybe people get to that. I don't know, but there are those people who get to be in positions and they have relationships to others. Like there are folks who will swear up and down Evans is the most capable, competent and qualified person for governor but really, what distinguishes her from Ab- from Abrams besides the fact that she has support from, you know, the last few set of that dying dem generation that lost the seats in the first place, and she's white. I mean, we we have to be real and honest about what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worse actually. Um, I think it's 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 a it's sort of time to sort of throw the gauntlet down around the question to these folks who are progressives. And I, I mean, I have some friends so out there who have this position. So you're, you know, I'm saying this to people that I know and respect and love and work with. But if you uh, insist now, right now, that, that Stacey Evans is, is more electable than Stacey Abrams, you really need to do some self-analysis and really dig into why you think that. Because if you know you can't have that position, uh, and then and at the same time know the facts that are out there. You know, I mean, know the you know, and if you're somebody who's in, you know reasonably involved in sort of progressive politics or democratic politics, you know this stuff. Mm-hmm. You've seen the polls. You know the fundraising reports. You know that every single progressive constituency in the state and virtually all of them that are national in scope that have some sort of relationship to this state have endorsed Stacey Abrams. So the, 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 the sort of totality of it all is, is pretty overwhelming evidence. And to take, you know, the position that uh, you think Stacey Evans is, is you know, somehow, you know, by any metric, a better, uh, more, a more electable candidate or somebody who's more viable in the eyes of Georgians, then, you know, you're, you're motivated by, by either conscious or subconscious uh, biases that you're, you're not willing to come to terms with right now. And you really, people really should. People really need to, to look at that and um, be willing to, to get out of that comfort zone because it's really damaging progressive politics. I mean, absolutely. And if we're really going to continue moving, you know, Georgia ahead, when we're looking at the legislation that's coming out of, you know, there's been some okay legislation, but when we're looking at some of the legislation that's being proposed, that's being pushed, that's being um, championed by those running for statewide office right now, it's, it's scary to think about the, 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 the state that they're trying to take us back to. Um, and, and I mean, we both know that this type of stuff, this type of animus is not like because of Trump, but there certainly is an emboldening amongst certain people now that it's openly okay to target, harass, discriminate against people. Um, 
again, it's stuff that has already happened, but we, we really need to have the resources. We need to make sure that we're informing and educating people about how, you know, we need to be committed to providing opportunity for all because that makes our state and our citizens, you know, more productive and happier and healthier and better contributing members of society overall. That's what we should be wanting for a Georgia. Like, I just think back to that, that silly ad from the Republican Governors Association. They're just like, you know, uh, what is it, whichever Stacy or whatever Stacy is, is bad for uh, Georgia, because, you know, they're like, whichever Stacy wins, it doesn't matter, bad for Georgia. And they're right. Both Stacys are bad for their Georgia, because their Georgia is a Georgia from a time that we need to be leaving behind us that we don't need to be resurrecting at all. Both Stacys are bad for that Georgia. However, only one of them, at least right now, with the way their campaigns you know, their work and the way they're messaging and pushing forward and organizing is really trying to take, instead of holding and balancing the, stand, the status quo, is really trying to take us to another level. And it just seems to me, and I know you and I have talked about this before, that Stacey Abrams is the one to take us to the next level statewide. The fact that she's, she's Black, I mean, it should not be used as an excuse for people to not support her or not vote for her. And that's not just reality. People need to be challenged on that head on. No, that's that, and that, that you said it uh, better than I, because I, I I think that uh, that it's it's becoming it's a real it's it, the the only way that we're going to kind of get the kind of um, uh, unity and and sort of uh, consensus and uh, behind uh, the nominee is if people are you know, basically challenged who who are uh, spreading this stuff. Because, I mean, it's look, there's people out there that just sort of spend their time doing this all day long, you know, calling up people, trying to put questions into people's minds, um, trying to dry up resources. Um, I heard um, uh, one, one campaign uh, operative of um, – you know, people like calling other campaign uh, organizations and saying, well, I understand that you're going to have to give to both candidates, so, but I'm just asking that you don't max out to Stacey Abrams. If, so, you know, that kind of stuff going on is, and, you know, who, I hope I hope whoever is, do, is doing that stuff is, uh, hears this that you're destroying our opportunity to win this election because you are simply trying to prop up a failed strategy that is that has lost us elections over and over and over again. It's time for you to get out of the way and let the people who have winning strategies uh, get out there and win this thing. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I think, you know, for, there are folks who, who will say things like, oh, you know, rumors and gossip, like, let's just be real. We all know how this game is played. We all know how people, you know, whisper and hush and backroom deals and what happens in corners and stuff like that. And a lot of times, you know, there, there, there's more truth to it than not. Um, but we need to continue to be vigilant and having good conversations and get out there and talk to people. I am actually really looking forward to talking to you after next week when you start your new position. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I guess, uh, you know, I haven't even said this out loud on any kind of recordable media yet. So you get the first uh, shot at this. You get to scoop some folks. <laughs> as of next week, I'm starting to, uh, as the Southern Region Political Director for the Working Families Party, 
Mm-hmm. And um, so we're going to be um, basically building a program and a, a campaign here in Georgia to uh, help Stacey Abrams, who uh, Working Families Party has endorsed, uh, to help her win, but also to help these progressive candidates win down the ballot and really uh, play to the ma- maximum role we can the role of doing what we what, what we were talking about earlier, which is is really reaching those those voters that uh, make and making sure that they feel like they have a reason to get to the polls, and then helping them get to the polls, uh, you know, on election day. That's that's great because we definitely need that real investment. You know, people will say, "Oh, the outside groups and and try to scare folks," but 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 Georgia Georgians are, you know, I lived in West Virginia for several years and now being here in Georgia and getting to hear people's stories and learn and know more about history and just people and communities and stuff. There are some amazing and fierce and wonderful fighters here, but folks have been really challenged and for lack of a better term, screwed over by institutional power in many ways in many communities. And we need to have investments and good organizing to help people understand that they're not alone. You've had too many good people all up and down the state who've had to, you know, hold the finger in the dam or fight the battles by themselves. And so it's really exciting to see working families kind of, you know, venture this way in a more meaningful way. And and not just that they're supporting Stacey, but that, that they're willing to, to, to put some funds in, in having you on, on board so that we can get some really good work happening in and around the state. So I'm pretty excited to see what you guys will be, be doing and looking forward to opportunities to volunteer. That's going to be fantastic. <laughs> well, Eric, thank you so much for, for taking your time out of your afternoon to join me today. Um, yeah, we definitely should connect more once you once you transition into your new position. Uh, but I look forward to more conversations with you through the rest of the campaign cycle because these are conversations that people are not willing to have out loud. Um, and it's definitely not coming from, you know, some of the more mainstream media outlets that we have access to. So um, folks listening, please like, share, 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 share. Uh, and definitely check out, there's a link in the, the, in the, in the description to my other interview with Eric. So um, definitely check it out, definitely share, and look out for information on how to get involved with Working Families, uh, is it Working Families South? What is the exact name? Yeah, uh, yet to be determined. <laughs> working Families, we're, yet we're, to be we're, determined. We're, we work on it. project, but we may, we may uh, initiate uh, like a state affiliate. Oh, um, okay. okay, that'd that, be that cool would be too. an on-the-ground organization that people could actually join and participate and build chapters uh, in, 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 in Georgia. So, um, that's, that's, it's not that, that, that the, the confusion of it was, we just haven't, uh, gone to that level yet. So, but that, that is, uh, our intention is to build an organization that's, you know, on the ground, uh, beyond need. election day. Yeah. And that's, that's absolutely what we need. And that's going to be powerful and will carry us through 2020 and beyond. So I'm really excited, Eric. Thank you so much again. I um, appreciate talking to you today. It was a lot of fun. Thanks.